Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, I'm Nico, and you can check me out at Nico Action. That's N I C O A C T I O N on Twitter and Instagram. And that must mean I'm TK, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at X Nate X Gray X. And we are here to Spider Get It On Part Two. This is our continuing look at all things Mayday Parker and just how much we love her, her MC2 universe, and everything that goes along with her. And before we can even touch a second of Spider Get In, before we can go anywhere near the Spider Get In Handbook or any of the number of wonderful one shots and uh mini series entries we're going to look at today we have news this is monumentous tk you came to me last night with something that changes everything yeah i was just doing my standard lie on the couch keep refreshing twitter hope that there's more news about how elon musk is driving the whole thing into the dirt and instead i get this set of images and like a oh i can't wait message from like a random account that i follow and i look at one of them and i'm like that is a young lady with brown hair and spider things like happening in her outfit huh and i look at the other ones and i notice that there's like a young kid in one and i'm like you know timing being what it is that could be about the age that benji is look at that kid's shirt it's got j2 on it and all four of these covers that i'm looking at are from the spider-man infinity comic and they are four covers that clearly indicate that issues 26 through 29 are going to be about Miss Mayday Parker, Spider-Woman herself. I just about dropped my tablet. I mean, that was the most exciting thing. We have been, you know, pushing for this. So whoever is writing this... We're so excited to find out who you are because that's the piece of information we did not get. Yeah, whoever's writing this, whoever's drawing it, whoever's anything involved with Spider-Girl on anything Spider-Girl, period, actually, you are more than welcome onto the show to talk about your Spider-Girl memories, what Spider-Girl means to you. If you and Spider-Girl girl were on a bowling team what would you name the team if you're a spider woman or spider girl person if you like it more when she does or doesn't play basketball there's going to be a questionnaire and you're going to have to fill it out if you were to send an image to t public so that they could make j2 shirts which j2 image would you use and how soon can we get that going this is exactly the conversations we need to be having with the spider girl creative teams and i can't where do you stand on the name dusk is it canon or not <laughs> Not. like we've got questions uh, and you know elan where do you stand on elan and uh her, her should normie and raptor renew their vows it's been a minute everybody loves a destination vow renewal oh yeah why was mindworm so jacked <sighs> are black tarantula and aranya really that happy is chesbro having a great retirement there's a lot of spider girl conversation i can't wait to have with you person who probably doesn't have any interest in answering these questions <laughs> so please please feel obligated to come answer those questions <laughs> or just come and we can answer them for you and you can just agree with us or laugh you can yeah. just laugh just laughing is laughing cool. is a tacit form of agreement i think so that's perfectly fine then i have a lot of people the 
that have agreed with me over the years. I'm agreeing with you right now. That is the best thing I've ever heard. But for real, this is like the actual dream. I'm just fucking like slap happy. This is unbelievable. This is like truly like comedic levels of I can't believe this is happening. We have been talking for weeks about winding down this project. As much as we've loved it, we've felt that like, you know, we've gotten through a certain number of these and we've really reached a point where maybe we've stepped past where it's super necessary. You know, the first Slingers episode was 25, so the second Slingers episode was 26. That meant Spider-Geddon number one is 27. Uh, That makes this 28. We've got like four more in mind and then we're like, yeah, it's time to kind of retire this motif that we've been working. Well, you know, and when we finish this set of coverage, we literally will have until a couple weeks from now, we will have read everything that May Day has been in and covered all of it. So from that perspective, we uh, we really thought yesterday morning, like, okay, we've done it all. We need to start thinking about slightly different stuff. I figured, you know, at some point in the next two years, somebody might make another reference and we'd do like a funny reunion show. She wasn't uh, featured in the new Edge of Spider-Verse, which I was like, okay, I think that's a sign that, you know, maybe the interest has waned a little bit for now. I was reading the Spider-Man Infinity comic yesterday and saying to TK how, yeah, it just seems like spider people being spider people. It's not that it's not good because it's pretty good. It's that it doesn't feel like it fits our thing. You know, this first one is cute, but then it's kind of just like individual spider stories. We probably don't need to cover it. Holy shit. It's specifically the thing we need to cover. So I thought we were done four episodes from now with episode 32 of MC2 coverage, but we now have at least 35 episodes of coverage. And that's so wild to me that it seems like every time we think Spider-Girl is done, she just kind of has a little bit more in her. And I don't know, just because I so associate her with my childhood, it just sort of feels like my childhood keeps winning when May Day wins. Like, I'm happy with who I am and I'm happy with my life, but like, you can't help but automatically what if and you know funny enough because that's what Mayday is from that I feel sometimes like when I see Mayday keep on like some little kid part of me reading Wizard Magazine on the school bus I rode you know E1 I feel like it just makes me smile because it feels like perhaps she manages to she manages to just keep going and there's something intrepid about that there's something the survival spirit the 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 kind of thing a hero needs to be Spider-Man, even on his worst day of sales, Spider-Man is still a fucking juggernaut. And Spider-Man has never really been in danger, right? But like, Spider-Girl disappears for years at a time, and her name is a punchline. And the earlier version of her is an actual horrific insect person, and she herself is a fucking miscarriage. So sometimes I just feel like if Mayday Parker keeps existing, it's all going to be okay. I don't know. I really feel you on that. It's so funny because like the character in story is often just like, okay, she's back again. Like there's no part of her that's like, I might die, but I won't ever stop. It's really our concept of her and this fascination that comics fandom has with this character and saying like, I don't, we don't want to put her down We're nobody is done with her. And there are ways in which I still feel like her best days are coming. And I do think that the fact that she never quite gets to a point where it's like, I don't think we're ever going to hear from this character again, or like it's going to be, you know, 15 years until Jean 
Jean Grey is really properly resurrected. No, May keeps coming back again and again, and people keep showing us, like, this character meant something to them. And I don't think that that is true of a ton of Marvel characters. I think we have the ones that very obviously mean something to us all the time, and the ones that we think, like, I don't really care about that character. If some random writer had a connection to them and they bring them back, I would be tickled by it. But, like, I'm not desperate to see this character brought back. May is this really unique mix of the two and then something even more like she just creatively cannot be kept down and I think that is so fascinating I just I'm so excited for this and then I mean this this will renew my interest for years to come because I believe that from here on out it's anybody's game to pick her back up for another time even when they announce something as a character is like last hoorah it's just their last hoorah if this book doesn't pick up their interest and then it's just their last hoorah till somebody reboots it 10 years later there's always an opportunity and it's not everything that goes full spider gwen or full superior spider-man or miles where from the moment they hit no one will let them go not everything can do that spider girl for all the shit we gave the creative team you know humorously because we obviously adored them we spent so much time on this and we keep saying how much we love it you know and for all of the the hell we give to sales there really is something glorious about the fact that Mayday just won't quit. And I never would have thought we would cover 32 or so episodes of spider things, but here we are. And like, you know, we're talking about doing the JMS run and we want to do Renew Your Vows. Oh, right. And Samurai because we mm-hmm. want to get Sakura Spider. It's just, you know, it's exciting. And Mayday as this representation of an ability to understand a character by looking at the other characters that this concept sort of is the genesis for you know i when we got to the wolverina like it's just a silly what the story but like what it tells us about wolverine and what that in like in pulling it together with rena wild thing and looking at laura like what all these things tell us about what it means to be a wolverine that conversation so fascinates me i'm not done with it in any capacity i think about it now with every character but what it all stems from is okay who is this may parker why is it so important that she ran for so long and that this kind of titan of superhero comics said like i'm just gonna keep writing her i'm gonna not stop and you know as long as they give me a book i'll keep doing it that really does mean something and i think as fans as creatives as people who love this medium there is so much to be learned just from you know planting the seed that is mayday into your fandom i love that we're talking about the fact that we're using Mayday as a way to sort of scry in on alternate versions of things because that really is something Marvel is fascinated by right now and you need to look no further than the Black, White, and Blood line of books. Spider-Verse itself, the recent Miracle Man number zero, which saw Miracle Man looking in on a number of AU potential miracle versions of himself. There is an unmissable excitement to the idea of metaversal experience. And yeah, does it seem like it's kind of become everywhere? Sure. But cool. That just means it's going to become a genre now. Because 
because you can either kind of become a trope and like an element of someone else's genre or your own genre. And sometimes stuff that feels like a trope does in fact become its own genre. And then when you start setting things in that, it kind of takes on a life of its own and you get subgenres. And I like this idea of multiversal exploration and that Spider-Girl is how we got there. I, ne- I just really never would have imagined it. Like I really thought we would have stopped at some point and just said, yeah, it's lost the plot. Instead, we're like, we kind of need stuff to keep us going till we get to more Mayday. <laughs> All right, time to do more Mayday. And it's led me to kind of fucked up by it. Like, I can't believe that I'm like, yeah, I'm a fan of Superior Spider-Man. I like Spider-Man 2099. Let me tell you the AU Spider-Mans that you probably never heard of that I like. And like, it's really exciting to have my own connection to the Spider-Verse now. I completely agree. And the fact that this is one character who like you could, you know, we were talking about this in the last episode, like it can be something as simple as like, what if Peter Parker were a jock instead of a nerd? What if Peter Parker had gone here instead of there? And then, you know, you spin off and you get a completely different character, but then you can have a character like Sakura Spider, who is not like the Peter Parker of her area. She's just a totally different character who also has spider powers. And I think we will see really has a connection to the idea of with great power comes great responsibility. It's just really cool that with all of these different AU versions, you can do daughter of, son of, brother, sister, clone, but also just completely different characters. And it almost becomes like, if you keep it really superficial, you will probably get some tokenism. But if you really get to expand a character's AUs and what ifs and all the different versions, it becomes like an antidote to tokenism because you can really just so fully explore what other ideas of a character might be and you know i i do think that this is kind of a bigger part of our journey from now on as fans of comics it's always been there but you know with things like the mcu and how that factors into the regular marvel universe and the idea that a lot of these properties we just love the core concept but want to try different things i think we are always going to be exploring AUs and alternative versions of the characters and what ifs and I think that is a privilege of being a part of this fandom I think we should all embrace it because it really does allow all of us to say what if I was Spider-Man that's one of the things I love about the Spider-Geddon handbook the thing that kind of bothers me is it comes out very late in the Spider-Geddon cycle but it is according to its own inside page only up through before the events of Spider-Geddon so you know what's the value of one that's like mid-event I know and the cover boasts Marvel's Spider-Man from the breakout game right which they do announce that it is the game in this one so somebody realized that you do need to do that yep (laughs) it's got Miles Peter it's got Spider it's got Spider-Punk and the creative team required to do this is is really something else this is perhaps the first handbook I've ever seen that has like a writing team of 10 this one guy Mike O'Sullivan, the head writer and coordinator, is also part of the art refurbishment team and the production team. So I just really want to give it up to Mike O'Sullivan, who it seems like single-handedly stitched this book together using his own skin. And it's a really cool undertaking. Yeah, you know, we, we, we do handbooks to the Marvel Universe, and those are fantastic. They date themselves really quickly, and as soon as a big change comes, you know that somebody 
everybody's already figuring out how to do the next handbook. And then, you know, the old ones have become cute little relics, but they're almost not useful because, you know, if they're missing a huge piece of canon that came out the year after they were printed, you you do just need a new one. Having them be event specific like this does the job of both informing you as you go into an event, really of just the things that you need to know, but also being kind of a historical document with enough purpose that no matter what they they will have some relevance as long as you are interested in whatever the event is that is tying you to this particular handbook. Yeah, I really love that it's called Spider-Geddon Handbook. Do you want to be able to read Spider-Geddon without any confusion? Buy this. Oh, except for one thing. <laughs> also, for the existed profiles being updated in this issue, can you believe if the encyclopedia was like, see older copies, right? <laughs> Otto Octavius as Spider-Man from Avengers Now 2015. Scarlet Spider is Kane from Official Handbook of the Marvel Universe A to Z Volume 6 Hardcover from 2008. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Scarlet Spider is Ben Riley in the Official Handbook of the Marvel Universe A to Z Volume 9 Hardcover for 2009. You're making me buy hardcovers for this? Okay. Spider-Man Morales. I do love that. It's just like Morales. It's just, it's very aggressive, but okay. Uh, ben Riley, but just Morales. Okay. Got it. Uh, sure. But that's Secret Wars Official Handbook of the Marvel Multiverse 2015. That doesn't sound like a hardcover. Okay. And then I see Spider-Man Parker. Like, it's just like, where's his first name? Why is Ben Riley special? Because he's the other or something? I still don't understand. Official Handbook of the Marvel Universe A to Z Volume 11 Hardcover 2009. You're trying to bleed me on hardcovers here. What is this? Conan? So I, I do like this handbook. I'm just giving it a little bit of shit because I do understand that specifically that's an example of five characters who have such incredible depth and history with so much focus, so many solo titles each to their credit. It would be a disservice to try and do their entire histories in one simple up. There's also the rather odd conclusion of Teresa Parker, Peter's sister who has bird wing powers. I assume it's a suit. She's not in this. She's not relevant to this. So I am very curious if she maybe was intended to be, if there's something that they maybe want us to know for the future. I don't have any answers. I just thought that was an interesting inclusion because there's also like you do get through a lot of characters before you get to the appendix Spider-Man of the multiverse, which include a bunch of spider people that actually do feature in this and other relevant series. But Teresa Parker doesn't at all and gets a full profile. So, you know, just interesting choices. They're not, it's not all going to be perfect but it's still like a really fun B gives you a lot of the information that you need. And then, you know, C with a case like Teresa Parker really makes you wonder like, Oh, was there more story that got cut out? And could that ever come back? I agree. I think these are also really great for quick information. If you need to dial in and out of things. And from what I scanned, they seem pretty, pretty accurate and pretty complete. I love that inheritors family photo. <laughs> I haven't seen a family photo that says we fuck like that. since. <laughs> 
the Maximovs. <laughs> but that family photo just legitimately says, yeah, we fuck. And like, they're cool with it. Yeah, I mean, Bricks and Bora especially are just like, we are fucking right now. They are fucking in this photo. <laughs> That's why our, we, you can see us mostly from the waist up. Also, I just think it's hilarious, the identifying of them left to right. Like, I know, obviously you need to have that, but something about it just amuses me. Like, we're l- reading a People magazine about the people who chow down on spider totems. So much of this, conceptually, this whole story is so camp and really fun. That's why I was saying, like, the, the spectacular Spider-Man issue really sets the tone that, like, this is not meant to be dire, serious stuff. And of course, there do need to be stakes in order for us to invest as readers. But I think broadly, the tone really is laugh a little bit. You know, we're not canceling all of Spider-Man. So, you know, we're getting out of this in some capacity. So if you want to laugh a little bit, we can all do that together. I also think it's interesting that when you look at the members of the Inheritor family, the only family member not created in 2014 is Morlin. And that really stands out. I think that all of the others first appear in 2014 is perhaps indicative of something and because of the way comic numbering works it says that Moreland first appears in Amazing Spider-Man number 30 in 2001 but then Solus first appears in Amazing Spider-Man 9 13 years later so it's always really funny how that stuff kind of shakes out I love the former members tab over here where it's like Solus the mom and also Karn okay <laughs> Okay, well, two of them are dead, but one of them is just like, I quit. And gets <laughs> they, his own they kicked entry. him out. He is that, yeah. um, he's that Osborne sister that technically lived in the house, but wouldn't sign the deal. So they just don't feature her at all in the entire show. That is correct. <clears throat> I feel like Karn himself, I, I get why he gets a profile, but I don't know. Is this really? Okay. Yeah. I just didn't think he was all, like ever particularly interesting. Not like, oh, what a stupid character. Feel ashamed. But just like he's not fascinating. Master Weaver is a fascinating role that I feel never gets expanded on. And Karn as a black sheep who becomes a spider person in the same way that Octavia Otto is kind of a black sheep of the Ottos who becomes a spider person. There is something there with Karn, but it doesn't feel as though anybody who is associated with Spider-Verse or Spider-Geddon felt the need to really delve into this character who I think conceptually is very fascinating. I mean, the fact that you know he's got this fucking helmet on the whole time, the fact that he's sitting in a weird spider butt that like he does have a bottom half of himself. He's just like in this like weird mech orb to do the weaving. There's cool ideas here. It just felt like nobody was like, okay, we've got the cool ideas. What is this dude's internal monologue like? What are his motivations? Does he miss his incestuous family? Does he hate them all? Does he want to make out with Billy Braddock? Lots of questions. There ought to have been time to answer them. Unfortunately, it does really get glossed over and blessing and curse. It isn't really a big deal. Like, I don't think anybody's like, oh, without understanding Karin, this whole thing falls apart. But at the same time, such an important character, the master weaver, the guy who's like in charge of the Spider-Verse multiverse, you'd think somebody would want to be like, let's do a let's do an even medium level dive. Doesn't need to be a deep dive, but like a dive of any kind. Instead, I think Web Warriors was meant to just to really do all of that. Yeah, and for a lot of people. I mean, like, it really, you know, I, we, we say over and over, there's a ton of characters in this. We get that they can't do everything for everybody, but Web Warriors really did have the job of giving a 
any kind of dive on any of these characters. And I don't ultimately really think it did. It was such a team book and it didn't last long enough to, they could have even done the Kieran Gillen, immortal X-Men. Most characters get a focus issue that gives us enough knowledge about them and their perspective that we feel like, okay, I, I know this character a little bit now. We didn't get that for anybody. No. In fact, I feel like I understood some of the characters a little bit less clearly. Yeah. But a character that I feel like I walk away from Spider-Geddon really understanding is Elliot Tolliver slash Otto Octavius. Damn it. Most fuckable yeah, man in the Marvel hot. Universe. Yeah, I have no idea how they did that because like when I think super fuckable, I don't go, Alfred Molina. <laughs> I'm like, that's just not, not my path. Uh, but man, no, Dr. Elliot Tolliver, he's delicious. We said a lot of wonderful things about his super cool costume. Big fans. Really odd to choose the name Tolliver given its history in the Marvel Universe and the fact that they literally create these characters. They can have any last names they want, the writers want them to potential like inroad or plot thread for somebody else in the future I guess it's always weird when somebody makes a really obvious choice like that and you're just kind of you know if his last name was Smith nobody gives a shit but Tolliver has some meaning in the Marvel Universe and it's rare enough that once you see it again you start going like does this mean something and it's always nice when you make a big choice like that that's very visible if you give people something to be like I had some intentions here like maybe I'm not going to get to it in this story Story, but like, yeah, you're right to notice that. It really does add a lot of layers to why we do this and why we read this. There's a value to taking on this sort of adventure. And I think Doc Ock has been a pleasant surprise. And I do agree with the last name Tolliver having like meaning in the Marvel Universe. You could have not, but you did. So it's where we are. I also agree with you that the inclusion of Teresa Parker, interesting call. She She's from Spider-Man Family Business in 2014. She's a real interesting call here. Uh, not quite sure why she's here, but hey, girl. You're welcome anytime. You kind of give us uh, Brenda Drago vibes. Yeah, yeah. Hey, come hang out with us. Just only go by Brenda. <laughs> the Kane spotlight, I tried reading it. Yeah. He becomes a tarantula. <laughs> Different than tarantula or black tarantula. <laughs> And then there's some sort of like evil bed bugs and I just got so lost and I'm sure it's good stuff because like if you say to me X-Men plots, I'm like, what do you mean they come out of eggs? And like, they're just eggs. Like, and there's a guy, there's a guy named Egg who used to be named Gold Balls who hangs out with a girl who's not the, I'm sorry, a woman now who's not the Phoenix named Hope raised by Cable who was a little kid recently. Fuck the X-Men. Right? Like, I, I could see yeah. that happening. Oh, absolutely. But I don't know that some of these updates really help me. The Scarlet Spider update as well. I'm just like, these characters are wild. Well, and, you know, the thing with the X-Men, I have a close friend right now who heard about what was going on with the Krakoan era and how I, among other people that he's friends with, really felt like there's some really great queer metaphor stuff in here and it's valuable to read even if you're not a big X person. So he started reading. He went back and read Morrison's new X-Men. 
Batman. He is now picking up with Dawn of X after reading House of X and Powers of Ten. And there are a lot of times where he says, like, wait, so the guy who was named Gold Balls is making the eggs and they're not viable eggs unless the other dude's there. And why does this woman look like Jean Grey, but she's not Jean Grey? But I heard that she had the Phoenix at one point and I have to sort of sit down and be like, okay, how interested are you in hearing nonsense? And how much nonsense do you have room for in your head today? And how many hours do you have for me to discuss this? This is the calculus that any and all of us do when we start researching characters that have had any significant amount of time in the Marvel Universe. And I think the one thing that I try and find out for myself is like, is there anything that I can take out of this that's going to be like, even though it's crazy, the story is a beautiful metaphor for disability, so it's worth reading. Even though it's crazy, this story is a beautiful metaphor for drug addiction. And you'll see like when you look at Kane becoming a tarantula, it's like the addiction metaphor all over. You just got to like go with it. If I can get something like that, I will tend to get into complete nonsense continuity. But that becomes one of the reasons that fandom just as a culture and as a community is really important because the Marvel handbook is not going to tell you this story was a metaphor for anything. They're just going to lay the facts out. And that is where my brain kind of turns off. But when people hear that I'm doing this, if I have a friend who, you know, is a big Spider-Man fan, I know he or she will tell me, oh, the, yeah, that Kane story is really interesting because of this. And that will get me into it. My comic book kid, right? Taryn is the amazing art line artist on the series. And he's always been a big Spider-Man fan. And so sometimes I'll mention stuff and he'll be like, yeah, no, that is cool. And I'll be like, oh, I, I believe you. Uh, because, you know, it's just out of context. This stuff can be kind of wacky. Uh, one of the things that's wackiest is it seems like every time a character is in Spider-Man, they have to have like 16 aliases. <laughs> Evidently, Kane is also the other. Scarlet Spider-Man, Tarantula, Kane Parker, and he impersonated the Jackal, who was Ben Riley, and Spider-Man, who was at the time Peter Parker, while Ben Riley also goes by the Jackal and Henry Jones. And there's another Jackal that created both Kane and Ben Riley. Right. The update on Spider is, or I guess the entry on Spider is fine. The biggest thing is when a character has so few stories like Spider and Penny Parker, it feels a little as though an update like this or a little summary like this eats the chance of reading some of it. Yeah. I mean, this really feels like, oh, you heard about Spider. Yeah, that's a Gerard Way thing. Get into this. It feels a little more like an ad. And speaking of things that feel like there's two different ways to approach, like there's kind of a way to get me into something with like a short little ad like this and there's a way to get me into something by showing me how expansive it is Miles Morales gets two pages and that's pretty easy but Miles last update according to this was 2015 Peter Parker gets nine pages but his last update was 2009 so maybe that makes sense but the Peter Parker stuff is so long and so text heavy I a little bit just don't know that I have the energy to invest. I tried reading it, saw a couple of things like a Deadpool reference. Yay. Captain Marvel reference. Yay. Saw a Hobgoblin reference. Ran the Yay. other way. Yeah. First, you can't convince me that all of this is essential information. I get that Peter Parker is the most popular character in the Marvel Universe. You still can't convince me that I need all of this in this handbook for this event. Also, especially when he's in three issues of his own story and then like barely shows up in the final 
Matthew of the main book. Like I, Miles is a lot more present and functional in this story. So, you know, I, it does sort of speak to that idea of like Marvel is really committed to telling you that like Miles is really important. He's here to stay. He's also Spider-Man. Accept it. It's happening. This can be a moment where it's a little bit of a stumbling block. I would have given them both four pages and called it good. Uh, You know, everybody knows that Spider-Man has seven novels worth of continuity if you really want to write it all out. We get it, but you then have to be really sparing because also people at this point, by the time you're 10 years old, if you've never picked up a Marvel comic, you have some functional knowledge of who Spider-Man is, what he does, what the broad strokes of the Spider-Man concept are. That's, I think, the whole point of this exercise, isn't it? That you vaguely know who Spider-Man is anyway. That's why this all works the way it does, or we wouldn't be able to sort of just dial into the notion of Spider-Man this way. Yeah, absolutely. There's also something about the quick run of Spider-Men in a row Mm -hmm. with Spider-Punk, the Spider-Man from the game, Spider-Man from the Spider-Man TV show from the 1970s, and then formerly Spider-Bitch herself, Ashley Barton. So bold of them to include the the Spider-Bitch reference. And if I can, for the most part, Spider-Women, while inherently sexy women, and I am all here for their empowerment and their sexiness and stuff, uh, we do tend to see a lot of effort put into perhaps keeping them a little bit on the cleaner side lately. Uh, You know, a little bit more effort put into not hypersexualizing every single thing, but I have to be honest, uh, her titties are everywhere. In every panel. They're on everything. Her titties are on every surface of everything. Her titties are on that spider monkey on that page. There, It's just really, it's egregious. And like, I want more for her than that. She's more than the boobs. She is a trophy wife. Um, a granddaughter. You know. Oh my God. Um, to friends. To vaguely <laughs> same aged friends. It's, it's true. I mean, like, it is a trap that Mayday often fell into with the spider person costume being a form-fitting full body leotard is going to accentuate certain parts of the body and you just kind of have to figure out how you're going to deal with that in a way i always go back to that quote that's like the way men write women in, in novels and it's like she breasted boobily down the stairs and that's just really what it can feel like when people draw spider women it's just like they're breast and boobily in every single panel and I have now read enough Spider-Girl to know that there are ways to deal with it. It is a subtle talent but it is one that you might as well the fuck learn because it's very important to being able to capture the essence of a character without being like the essence of that character is breasts. Like Spider-Ling? And now granted a number of the images of Spider-Ling are as a child but you know in all of her appearances throughout this book the teenage Spider-Ling never suffers from what Teenage Mayday suffered from. So we have seen big strides, big struts. And I just want better for Ashley Barton, who, if I may, yeah, she's trash. You know what I mean? But I think that's why it's so important that she not be so breasty. Thank 
you. Because she could be really good trash. You know, one man's trash is an excuse to include Ashley Barton in things. She's from so, the wastelands. Like, when we say she's trash, it's not like... I'm not saying by any standard where somebody would call somebody trash in the world that we live in. She is very gruff. Her world is irradiated. She has a foul mouth. She's kind of mean. Like, she is from the wrong side of the tracks. I put that in quotes. But, like, not any tracks that we would know. So, like, she's kind of trashy. And I just... It's in a great way. It's in a way that is unique to her as a spider person. But because of that, it's really important that she not also be super sexualized because then what it just says is if you have any kind of gruff demeanor or have a hard edge to you of any kind in order for us to accept you as a hero we need some boobs in the mix i just don't want it like yeah. i guess like that's all i got i just don't want it yeah because i think about how cool the web warriors are and how few of them are defined by their boobs you know i maybe don't recognize all of these characters <laughs> and that worries me a little bit but we have black widow okay Master Weaver, Spider UK. Hey, buddy. Spider Girl. Hey, Anya. I love you. Hi. Hi. We have Spider Man. We have Spider Woman. But what? Why is your name also Spider? Fuck it. Spider Ham. Okay. We got another Spider Man. All right. But he, clearly he's Spider Man Noir, I guess. Or Catalyst's got a Xenomorph head. Something's <laughs> happening. Lady Spider. Girl, get it. Okay. Who I think we really could have benefited from in this series as opposed to another character because she's one that we got a real solid view of in Edge of Spider-Verse. You get that her thing is steampunk Spider-Person. She's a woman. We always need more women in these types of roles. And like all the work is done for us. She doesn't need the like introduction through an anthology series, but she's not so written a character that it's boring to see her there. There are a bunch of those that exist. And I feel like throwing a few of them into the mix in exchange for like not doing you know the cowboy spider-man like we could have ditched cowboy spider-man and put lady spider in and that would have been great all around for this book i agree uh things that are also great for this book Say octavia it. otto octavia if you don't, otto like there's something about her that i love so much mm -hmm. i want to make a cake big enough that i could pull a lisa left eye lopez <laughs> and light a pair of shoes on fire and throw them in the bathtub and that it would be the candle <laughs> on top of the cake I make for Octavia Otto is how big a cake I would like to make for this bitch. This queen bitch. I love her so much. I, I don't even care. She was worth the whole project. She is, you know, if we had not gotten the Mayday Infinity comic, I would have been pretty bummed. But if we had not gotten the Mayday Infinity comic, but we had gotten an Octavia Otto Infinity <laughs> comic. I, and, and you know what? Marvel if you're listening there's still time you can do an octavia auto infinity time comic forever. any day and i will you know even if it's free with my marvel unlimited subscription i'll, I'll still find a way to buy it i'm just sad janine garofalo can't play her at age 17 <laughs> anyway uh you know spider-man from web warriors number 11 <laughs> that's uh anarchy spider punk but it's very weird that they chose not to use that name another great point that we have made through this confusion is like spider punk has an entry but then you know technically he was in web warriors so he's in the web warriors entry i get why it makes sense but choices were made here in order to get all of this information in and in hindsight now that we are years out from the event now that we can have 
read the whole thing and have a lot more access to Spider-Person knowledge as two people that have been doing this whole project. There are parts where I'm like, I might have done that differently. I agree. You know, the fact that there is both Spider-Horse and Spider-Mobile... <laughs> I just can't. Yeah. I can't with you guys. Yeah. Um, not sure what else I'm supposed to say. I do love a number of the sillier Spider-Men. I do. And there's cool Spider-Men that really surprise you that they would do like, you know, the animated meme ones. That's really fun. That's really playful. I appreciate the effort they put in. But like the next couple of pages, just doing Spider-Men of the multiverse, as if to say there's so many Spider-People, we can't possibly talk about all of them so here's a quick little cut down of the ones worth mentioning and I just want to say that there's actually two lovely little mentions in the index for two lovely little Spider-Men and one of them is of course Peter retiring his Spider-Man identity after losing a leg in contact with combat with the Green Goblin Norman Osborn Earth 982's Peter Parker became a police forensic scientist and a mentor to his daughter May who inherited his powers and became the costume Spider-Girl. Peter Parker died defending his family against the vampiric inheritor Deimos, and he looks real fucking hot. They picked uh, his final appearance art. The correct okay. picture. And then <laughs> Kane's described immediately <laughs> as an imperfect clone <laughs> of Spider-Man. Uh, crack up. I mean, I'm impressed that they went with imperfect clone and not fucked up craggy face. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, they really could have described him as the aggro crag. I mean, every time I look at him, I just keep expecting Mo to help me spill my guts. <laughs> like, seriously, his face is so fucked up. I'm, I'm like 10 years away from being Kurt's dad on Glee. So, um, you know, they mentioned Kingpin here. I appreciate it. Uh, it's nice to see our our spider guys that we love so much just make a quick little appearance. Super cute to see him. I guess I appreciate the, no giveaways of anything, but we're going to address a plot point that comes at the very end of this entire thing that would lead me to believe that it might have made sense to pull one of these characters out of a tiny little sliver of the Peter Parkers of the multiverse and maybe get them a larger entry of some kind just so that when this reveal happens it's not such a like I, I don't even know who the fuck that is. That is one of the things that does wind up occurring a lot. I do as I'm reading this go wait which spider person is that and that every event is like we've added 11 more spider people for you sometimes i want to be like no you have the obligation to kill seven of them seven i don't care which seven call it spider squish days of the week and you do seven issues and you squish seven and then you can have two new ones yep i really have to agree like because part of it really is like they're a little bit trying to sell you and be like which one's your favorite don't you love cowboy spider-man and his spider horse and no, because one four-page anthology story is not going to be enough to get me into Cowboy Spider-Man and his horse. And because you've added him now with four others, now I'm really drawn to Spider-Ma'am, Aunt May Spider-Man with a Chef Boyardee hat on. Like, that's my shit. But now there's three other ones that I don't really care about. And it's feeling like the lane is very clogged. And I just feel like find another 
another way to focus test all of these spider people and figure out which one people are responding to because putting it in the issue like this does a disservice to the ones that really are great it's one of the things that i did enjoy about the little bit of spider verse unlimited that i poked around through it was nice to just read like a intended to be self-contained miles story Mm -hmm. you know that was an easy thing to jump into on the whole i kind of think something like this spider verse entry with all of its misleads and no none of these people are in the fucking book of it it might as well have come first you might as well have made it a little easier to jump in and i might have cared a little bit more in that regard but all said and done you know i am a little bit warmer on spider getting today than i real time we recorded these back-to-back days and it's in the day between us recording this that the spider girl thing came across our desk so that was really exciting Mm -hmm. and i think i'm a little bit softer on spider getting today than yesterday i think in part because we got through all the stuff i wasn't as crazy about and i'm looking forward to the other half of spider getting today but more than anything i really feel like multiversal spider like throwdowns is something that's become a part of marvel structure something that used to bother me was that marvel it seemed like could never figure out the right way to put into production their own version of the green lantern core and as a guy who is pretty obsessed with the green lantern that always kind of bothered me because i always felt that the core was something that marvel could get right marvel was really good at teams of heroes working in uh sort of like synchronous tandem based on the idea of a shared purpose that's something marvel heroes do really really well so it kind of feels to me like despite really logic to the contrary honestly what marvel managed to find a way to do that with is the spider-man the spider-man are marvel's lantern core they should just be so lucky to have spider rings and i think the thing i love about it is there's probably always going to be some sort of spider multiversal story going on somewhere because it's become an annual thing at this point my jaw kind of just dropped right now because in all of this talking i never really thought about the spider verse group as you know a version of the green lantern formula and we have absolutely seen other toes dipped in the water the thor core from battle world was a moment in which people were like could this carry on like could we see storm thor when the marvel universe resets itself i'm glad they did not go in that direction it seemed for a hot minute like everybody getting a little piece of the phoenix might have turned into something along those lines again very excited it didn't go down that way you are absolutely right this really functionally can be their green lantern core because you're always going to have your one dude peter parker is spider-man that's cool that's totally fine but the idea that somebody like mayday could come in and be an almost equally exciting and big name and marquee version of the same concept also really exciting to me and the idea that the one thing that all of these characters have in common is somehow they got the message that with great power must also come great responsibility i don't know that just works to me especially when we look at that might be the one thing about all these little one shots that i can kind of be like you know proofs the proof is right there all of these so 
solo heroes who come into a spider power of some kind and it somehow engage with the idea that with great power must come great responsibility. I think that's a not bad analog for throwing on a ring and becoming part of the Green Lantern Corps. Especially with the idea that this responsibility is the great defining element for what kind of makes a spider person. Mm -hmm. Because there's the magical component and I love the magical component. I do. I understand why some people are like, that's a little shitty, but no, it's okay that some people have a special destiny. Everybody's got a special destiny. It's just everybody's special destiny isn't being a spider person. And I do love that there's like a spider magic and some people have special spider magic. But if you told me that Octavia Otto doesn't fulfill the obligations of a spider person, I would tell you, you haven't been reading the same books as me because she is just as much a spider person as any spider, which is weird because now spiders are getting stabbed by wasps. I don't even understand what's happening anymore. I just want Animal Man to come in and fix this whole fucking mess. Be like, I'm in charge now. Uh, the Marvel Universe would just buckle. <laughs> I really think you make a great point there as well insofar as, you know, we do have the option to have not everyone that is participating in being a part of the Spider-Verse group. They don't all technically have to touch the magical part. I think it's really smart that they get their powers in a variety of ways, some of which are pure science, some of which are total magic. And on top of that, other people become part, you know, Otto as Superior Spider-Man is, or now as Superior Octopus, is a different type of thing. He's not necessarily going to be part of the Spider-Totem magic, but he is going to be in the Spider-Verse core for the reasons that he's there, because he has shown up, because he's part of the group. And so the magic is part of it, but it really becomes that magic that's like, we don't even understand how the universe works. Like, things get so at a level where magic resembles science and we have been given every single option for why somebody is part of the Spider-Verse group. And in that way, you can choose, if it's really important to you that this not be a super magic thing, you have plenty of science-only, no-destiny people that are still part of the group and are participating in the destiny just by virtue of the fact that they're saying, I have your back and I'm with you. So this was a real challenge for me at times to understand how most of these stories even were Spider-Geddon. It felt maybe like a couple of these books were gonna happen anyway. Let's just do Spider-Geddon. And I understand that Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, would have come out no matter what. And I could imagine that Superior Spider-Man was relaunching in some capacity, and I could imagine that Ghost Spider was relaunching in some capacity because let's take a minute and let's talk about Ghost Spider. The naming thing here. Fuck. Mm. This is so tough because you never want to be like, so when Marvel Editorial said my name was holding me back, but you kind of want to be like Rayanne. Tell her her hair is holding her back. <laughs> because, you know, Spider Gwen as a name is dumb as shit, but like Spider Gwen as a cultural nomenclature as like a titling very clever very yeah. fun and I think the idea that you must be called the thing in your book is very dumb we've seen success not following that formula 
Exactly, exactly. So that this is, you know, Gwendolyn Stacy from Earth 65, and she is like this definitive breakout character of her generation for women, for non-male, for non-binary peoples, for people who wanted a, you know, make it a non-masculine Spider-Man and make it fucking fashion. And I like mean that, like her look, her color scheme, her vibe, there's something electric. There's something that I get a nostalgia when I look at her that is usually reserved for things from my childhood. Like I have this one really perfect memory of going to my childhood comic shop, Zap Comics, back when it was in Sayreville and Long Halloween was coming out and they had just gotten like whatever the, if you know, everybody wanted Tamagotchi, which was Super Mario Brothers 2, they had in stock the Doki Doki Panic. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I remember thinking all of the comics on the wall that day were all so cool and like every single thing came to life and like when I think about those books that time those issues I get a warm feeling that it's like that's why I do this for comics because they can have that effect on people and they always have that effect on me when I see the colors that they use to saturate you know Night Spider to life I get that same feel and that they only went further to deeper saturate those colors with the symbiote having uh, sort of a a powerful white aesthetic beyond just being white or negative space. I feel as though we've really found something that worked for Marvel with Night Spider slash Gwen Spider, Spider Gwen, right? I'm always like Gwen Pool. No, Spider Pool Gwen. Gwen of State Pool, Drowning Gwen. What? Well, and also like you guys fucking lucked out double that we would accept both Spider Gwen and Gwenpool and like so enthusiastically. Agreed because I mean and I still think they are both troubling discussions yeah like for fandom like yeah. I think they're both great I don't know I think we've always had like great characters like Novar who really kind of bucks tradition he is this over the top Morrisonian character who kind of fills the pages with light and interesting ideas and they challenge you in the ways you think I just don't see what's so wrong with Gwenpool doing it and as far as Night Spider goes what's the problem here that it's Gwen Stacy because I feel like Marvel's made a killing with not quite Spider-Man a million times over. We just read a list of 80 of them. So why is it so hard that it's Gwen Stacy? I also think like it is, a, it seems to be a very love it or hate it thing. And I don't understand the hate it people, but the love it people are really into this and are kind of like, yeah, but just as long as she's in the book, just do whatever. And so the fact that she is from, she's Gwen Stacy who is from Earth 6-5 that constantly looks like a GS that she has to become Ghost Spider like I love branding but we have maybe pushed it for reasons that almost feel like you're apologizing to these people that have made very clear to you that they're not interested whereas everybody else is like call her whatever the fuck you want put her in whatever book you want we're into this character throw her in a fucking movie she can be the star of the movie like we're set we're sold doing these kind of kitschy gimmicky things to hook people in uh, just maybe is diluting the power that this character has and doing it for a group that I don't think is easy to please just because like they have high standards they're not easy to please because they have a certain viewpoint about characters and books 
like this and your branding shtick won't change that. And I think to your credit and to your point, Spider-Gwen is on her fourth volume since 2014. Uh, she had several volumes of Spider-Gwen and then she had the volume of Ghost Spider and she is now back to Spider-Gwen with Spider-Gwen Gwenverse. She also did some time in Web Warriors as we read. She has regularly appeared throughout volumes of Amazing Spider-Man. She has been in several of his events and crossovers, including special miniseries events like Clone Conspiracy. So she's really taken her place in the Marvel Universe. But outside of this second volume of Spider-Gwen, which really, I have to be honest, the second volume of Spider-Gwen shocks me in that it ran 34 issues. And the final issue is by Jason Latour and Robbie Rodriguez, who did the first stuff. And the cover is a 1000% throwback to her original appearance in Edge of Spider-Verse. It's very cool. So there's a lot of love that goes into this. It's a really considered thing. But I feel as though the dividends are not paying off. Spider-Gwen really is like cooler in concept than she is in sales. And there is a period in time where you could just churn the fuck out a Deadpool book and they never had amazing sales because like I've been spending a lot of time on the diamond charts and it's not that Deadpool always had crazy sales. It's that there was a guaranteed number of Deadpool sales. So if you could get somebody to agree to do the book at a certain page rate, you could print Deadpool. And I don't know what's stopping Spider-Gwen from being a gear like that in the Spider-Man machine because this volume, while this might have been one of the gems of our entire non-Mayday Spider-Girl read, this made no sense to be part of Spider-Geddon at all. No, in a way that like is especially disappointing because we take her off the board because of Fight with the Inheritors, which okay, but like then she is literally just doing her own introspective character developee story we don't even have the tension of like she has the one thing that if she can get back to our reality she can save everybody she literally is just like oops got shunted off to the wrong reality gotta get home oh i'm home you guys did great without me i just don't understand why and especially because peter kind of already has that trajectory of like i'm just gonna do my own thing over here won't super affect what the rest of you are doing but i am a part of this i mean i guess maybe it's like we're gonna pave the way for miles to do everything but then you get superior octopus in the mix and for reasons of silliness he often overshadows miles it just i think this story would have been a thousand times better with gwen really in the mix and somebody else doing character development somebody because so many of these spider characters aren't necessary but gwen does feel like one of the ones who ought to be because she's not just necessary for me personally she offers something the other spiders maybe don't because even though i maintain she is a spectacular character and plays into the spider design inherently she's not a parker she's just not a fucking parker and i think in a lot of ways because she is othered by being the girlfriend she offers a perspective that isn't really represented by a lot of the others like ashley barton's like 
like, yeah, I'm part of the spider line. Mayday's like, yeah, I'm part of the spider line. Then you've got Aranya, who's I'm part of the spider totem line. You've got Spiderling, part of the spider line. You've got all of these spider women who belong to the notion of the spider or the hereditary spider. But Ghost Spider does it because she wants to. Ghost Spider does it because she's decided she should. I think that makes Ghost Spider like, all right, so to say something kind of weird, I think Mayday is a lot like a Jean Grey or an Emma Frost or a Storm in that I believe she is a central figure behind which you could unite a line. I think mm-hmm. she could lead, a, you know, an Avengers of the Multiverse kind of book. But I think Spider Gwen is more like a Kitty Pride. She is good because she chooses to be. And she is in the fight because she chooses to be in the fight. Which is why that this three issues starts with like kind of like a nonsense setup telling us who Gwen is for the 80th time. If you're just in this for the crossovers, you must be so bored with Spider Gwen <laughs> because you just constantly find out who she is. It's the way that every time Ben Riley shows up, he goes, I was killed and resurrected 27 times, but I'm a good guy now. I am Otto Octavius and I'm smarter than you. It, it gets a little repetitive. So I was really thrilled to see so many non-male names working on Ghost Spider. It's a non-male spider. I just keep being like non-male because like I want a ton of non-bi- non-binary spider characters. I want a ton of trans identifying spider characters. I want a number of like spider characters that represent everyone who's ever connected with the idea of being behind a full body suit that hides who you are. I want everyone to have access to that. So whether it's, you know, all women or just, you know, not male names, the idea of non-males entering what has previously been a boys club protected space is so special. And seeing so many non-male names on Ghost Spider, Spider Gwen, G6, Gaston, um, was thrilling. But then I felt sometimes like it kind of became about this universe's Peter Parker's fantasy wish fulfillment of getting his Gwen back. Now, don't get me wrong. His Harry and Gwen combo is (laughs) my new favorite. Oh, yeah. And that's the coolest looking goblin I have ever seen. Ever. Like, that's the coolest looking goblin I've ever seen since John Cena. So I'm really here for it. But it did feel like it was more about this Spider-Man often, or this Peter Parker, than it was about this particular ghost spider. Yeah, maybe if I want to be like really not cynical about it or, you know, be a little more hopeful, I could think something along the lines of they thought this was the best chance to boost a story about Spider-Gwen by including it as part of this crossover, even though it doesn't really have anything to do with it. Hopefully people got tricked and were like, oh, I got to buy this too. And then discovered that there's this actually really cool character. And, you know, we got to see a really interesting alternate version of Gwen you know we saw a whole au like you know like we always do and it was a very cool one and it was a great story it would have been a great mini on its own gwen just really could have been 
one of the biggest, most central cogs in the machine that was Spider-Geddon. And like Peter Porker could have had this story, not this specific, but like one that is completely irrelevant and where he's off to the side. Like Peter Porker, for all the fun that we have with him, I say we, but somebody else, for all the fun that people are having with the character, for all that he is a big part of the Spider-Verse, you you would be hard pressed to convince me that he really needs to be there. Even for comic relief in a story like this, you could really convince me that he's about to go have a hilarious four issue run that is parallel to Spider-Geddon. But, you know, when I read it and discover that it's not really central to any particular plot point, I still maybe go and enjoy it. And, you know, you get a really fantastic comedy writer to do it. You put in some really dark comedy. You give us a surprise idea about what it means to be Peter Porker that I never thought of because he's a fucking pig in a Spider-Man costume. And boy, what fun. And then Gwen, who I find to be on the Mayday level of really central Spider-Person characters and a rare example of a woman as a Spider-Person character, we still don't have enough, gets to be one of the prime movers of this crossover and gets to plant her flag in the ground and be like, Spider-Gwen was here. Spider-Gwen was fucking important. You know, the only thing we might have lost from that is that it would probably be a man who was writing that. But while we're on the subject, let women head crossovers as well. Speaking of women who did a really great job this crossover, right? Maybe didn't head it, but Jodie Hauser's Spider-Girls. Oh, Lord. You know, this was this was three issues that I really enjoyed a lot of. As I said yesterday, this, is, this was the dream, the culmination of our hope for May Day was that a woman would get to write May Day. This was something we felt should have happened somewhere around 2001. So, you know, that we are getting it, well, for us, it's more than 20 years later, but um, that we are getting it 20 years after the birth of May Day in comic books, it it feels like it couldn't possibly have come soon enough. And it's one of those moments where I actually do feel okay giving it a bunch of passes because I'm just so excited that we're here. Yeah, if we were on the 10th issue of a woman writing May specifically, I might be like, this isn't her best story. This isn't the best. But that we are at the first one, and I just have so much joy for it. There are definitely some critiques that I just don't care as much about for this particular story because of what it means to me as a person that is clearly fucking obsessed with Mayday Parker. And I really do feel like this gets a lot of the things that we're obsessed with her over. Mm -hmm. This hits a lot of the emotional intelligence. I agree. If this was like the 10th issue of Spider Girls, I might feel a little disheartened, but this is three issues. It's pretty tight. You know, I really did not know who the fuck Annie was. I did just not, I just did not know who the fuck Annie was. So I have come to love her and I already loved Anya. I, you know, I came into this loving Aranya and I've really gone back and like looked at what I read and talking about when I worked at the comic shop, I think I really only read like Amazing Fantasy when she debuted and then a handful of her issues. So I came in with like good vibes of her, but really, I guess I had not read that much. It's nice to see that she pays off in a big way. I really like this trio of women. It's funny that this is another book with fucking vultures. <laughs> 
more fucking vultures. They are the putties or the foot clan of Spider Geddon. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> which There's... just is which is a weird choice to make. I'm sorry. No matter what, that is just an odd choice to make. Of course, you got to have cannon fodder so that people can fight more. Very weird that it is random vultures, not like an organization of vultures that the inheritors employ to fuck things up. There just happen to be a lot of winged creatures around. Very weird. And, you know, I wonder how much of the stuff that maybe feels a little bit like we're giving it passes is because this was not Anya or Mayday's story. This was really an Annie story. She's the pattern maker now, and, you know, they're doing stuff there. But to that end, I think when I read it the first time and I didn't know that Annie was already a thing and that she was already, like, popular and that this woman had already written her for some time, I was kind of like, okay, you can see somebody is really into their new toy and it maybe feels like the two Spider-Women we love got a little less attention from this new writer. But now it actually turns out that this person is, like, famous for their work on this character that I just wasn't familiar with. And in retrospect, all of the emotional scenes she gave to Anya and Mayday about, like, learning to forgive yourself and move forward and be happy with life, this was incredibly generous of a writer who it seems like instead of me reading this as, well, it's called Spider Girls. Why didn't they each get a third? They get damn well close to half and half. Like, it's kind of half Annie, half Anya and Mayday. And there is something to be said for, like, you've all kind of had your chance a few times. You've all sort of not done a great job a few times. So maybe we let the new spider lady do a nice job and see where it goes. But like, it's fascinating how knowing that of these like five volumes of Renew Your Vows, I'm immediately like, no, this was actually really generous of her to give the other women so much time. Yeah, because they could absolutely have just been basically plot devices to get Annie to where she needs to go. I really agree with you just completely on that in my dream there would have been some way to get mayday her own you know even a one shot who knows but i just you know we clearly love her so much and she just has not had that opportunity to be focused on by modern writers writers who are not cis men her lane while very large for what it is is also very limited in a lot of ways and you know i i'm so excited to be talking about her again in a couple weeks and really see where we are now. In this case, I think you are absolutely right. Jody Hauser was incredibly deft with how she managed to use a bunch of different characters who I don't think you could have split, given them each equal time. We have a bunch of time with Spinneret and Spider-Man, Peter Parker and Mary Jane as well. So there are a bunch of important Spider characters in the mix. It's not super easy to just be like, you get this amount of time and you get this amount and we're all good. And I thought Jody Hazard did a fantastic job dividing things up. I maybe, and this is not a critique, it is just one of those things that I hope for because of Mayday. I find stories where Cable and Rachel Gray speak to their parents, even though, especially for Rachel, like they are technically not her parents. Her parents are other people from a different reality, but they are very similar and the core is the same. And she bonds with them and increasingly as she has stayed in the timeline you know more and more but early on she really was looking to talk to and bond with them and Jean had a lot of trouble with it early on that's neither here nor there but I would have loved a moment for Mayday to get to approach a Peter Parker who is a father
father, um, and maybe even one who's not, who knows, it doesn't really matter, but for her to be able to approach a Peter Parker and just have that moment of saying like, hey, you're not my dad, but you're my dad, and I'm so proud of you, and I love you, and you're great, and I'm also super sad because my dad is dead, and to get a hug and to just have that moment, that is something that I'm just dying to see. I think it's something that May deserves, that the Peter deserves, the, uh, the alternate Peter, whoever it is, really deserves to hear from this person that knows his future in a certain way to say like, hey, you are great. I love you, Spider-Man. I love you, Peter Parker. It's something that I find moving when it works for other characters. I feel like it's something that Mayday really deserves at this point. I also think it can help to establish like, I'm a little older now. Like I'm I'm obviously not your daughter because I'm significantly older than her and you're closer to my age, but like it's a solid way to age a character like May up and she's due for some aging. So that was just something that I really would have loved to have seen but didn't get. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, this really, this was a beautiful story. The fact that we got some time for Anya and May to be friend colleagues and support each other, and then for Annie and May to have some sister moments, loved all of that. The one thing I maybe don't love that for this Peter Parker and Mary Jane, May was a miscarriage. It might be one of these places where I don't have any right to speak on it. And I don't know who made that decision, if it was uh, Jody Hauser or the writer who wrote the first volume, but miscarriages in comics can get a little iffy. And that was one moment where I was just like, I do not know. It's definitely a topic that I feel better just sort of saying, I noticed it and letting people just say however they feel on it. Because yeah, there've been a lot of things in the course of particularly, you know, our MC2 Mondays that we've wondered about the, the treatment of and the handling of. Something that I really appreciate is when women are having conversations about things that have to do with being human. You know, it's anybody who can say, there is somebody I feel I am failing conceptually or my life is hard. But when it's meant to be a conversation between two women, if you don't have a woman write it nowadays, you're really just missing the point of, you know, of that, of that human accessibility. So it was just really an honor to after so many fucking episodes of Spider Girl get this thing we've wanted this whole time. But what I didn't want was more Bora and Bricks. <laughs> Yeah, the weird incest twins. You know, obviously there needed to be a villain. I, I, for some reason, I just feel like there was like extra Bora and Bricks in this series where like maybe this could have been Deimos and then, you know, there's a connection for May. But obviously somebody from the family needs to be there. It's them. Uh, okay. Now kiss. Very weird. But ultimately, the Spider-Girls miniseries is my favorite. I give it a real strong A-, where I give Ghost Spider a little bit more like a B, B+. I think that's where my letter grades land for these two. But they represent such a cool thing in women in this event, shaping this story, helping decide where women are going to go here. I love it. Uh, I was never the best teacher when I was a teacher, and I definitely 
definitely allowed my personal feelings to cloud my judgment and affect the grades that I gave. Any other circumstances, Spider Girls might have been a B plus. This is an A minus because it is just so special and I loved it so much. Uh, yeah, about a B, B plus for Spider Gwen. Spider Gwen's almost kind of the opposite. You know, there was nothing super special about it. It's a fantastic story, but like it's an A story that because of the other elements surrounding it, it has been dragged down to a B, B plus. But I feel it is really important and I feel more than anything that Spider Gwen is really important and I really would love for Marvel to set her up to be in A story situations. The other miniseries that I think we were meant to closely associate thematically because, you know, by virtue of having it be a one shot, the Doc Ock story felt different than by virtue of having the Peter Parker story run through one of his existing titles. It very much felt like the three minis that were Spider Girls, Spider Force, and I guess the ongoing of Ghost Spider, so not a miniseries. These felt a little bit more uniquely connected, and it's sort of in that regard that Spider Force was the biggest miss for me. Yeah, right off the bat, the reluctant participant is a difficult trope to make work. The danger that you fall into is convincing me that I you are correct. This character shouldn't be here. They wanted to stay home. They ought to have stayed home. Jessica Drew, who is a character that I can either absolutely love or just be completely repelled by, depending on who is writing her and what the situation is, does not want to be here. And it did get to the point where I thought, let's send her home. Let's get her a doctor's note. Let's send her home. Maybe we shouldn't have gone to get her in the first place. And that's a tough line to walk. And unfortunately, it did not manage to get all the way across with it. But let's talk about what this issue offered that no other book offers. Double jailbait? <laughs> you know? It is. It is. Especially because he's like, I know what I'm here for. You want to let that old lady finger fuck me. Oh, no. But then he's like, okay, okay. Bizarre choice. Man, he is an OnlyFans you shouldn't subscribe to. He is vulgar. The male version of former <laughs> Miss Spider Bitch USA. Um, that whole connection, too, was very tenuous for me. And because it's another one of those things where she's like, hey, you're my grandpa, which, you know, I guess technically all Peters are her grandpa, like how I want May to tell all Peters they're her father. But that he is so not into it, it becomes one of those things where I think maybe at the very end they tried to pay it off and have him be like, I love you. I'll let this lady molest me for you. But we had just gone too many rounds of the banter with him going like don't call me that i'm not that that i mean like reluctant in issue one is fine softens up at the start of issue two by the end of issue two is like kind of embracing it and the full-throated embrace in issue three that's a formula that works hates it up until the last minute again you have convinced me it's bad and just stops hating it because yeah no significant moment and you know that's one of the things we talk about when we talk about these books a bit like spider kid kid spider whatever the fuck his name is he is literally designed to be jailbait just kind of like ashley barton is. there is an element to these characters that is a hyper sexualization of the idea and that really does sort of reflect a little complicated against jessica drew who was a hyper sexualization 
civilization who is oftentimes just kind of porn and with so many characters in this book who just genuinely seem like they lack substance despite Christopher Priest's best efforts to reestablish the substance through giving Jess her family through giving you know kid some growth some personal development by having Ashley who is kind of a bitch a lot of the time be soft and be engaging and try to connect more there is something here that because the identities are so wrapped up in something so trashy you know it's kind of like even when it's a really like Mike Carey Neil Gaiman kind of writer a Kieran Gillen if it's on something kind of cheesecakey without any of like the style and nuance it still doesn't land right and I liked a lot of this and I liked a lot of the characters and I liked a lot of the designs but I just couldn't homogenize the two things together and I mean I keep going back to the example of spider kid believing that he has to be sexual bait for Verna and I just maybe I didn't read the previous Verna appearances carefully enough but I at no point was like that is a woman who really enjoys molestation and that is such a primary motivator that I need to think about it when I think about how they might plot and then it's such a necessary motivator that a kid who has already experienced a lot of trauma will decide to expose himself to more trauma in the form of voluntary like bait for molestation that that's really that's really necessary to us getting to the end of this series. I know dark and gritty, sometimes we love to do it. As I've mentioned, this series is like kind of funny for the most part. It's a little bit sillier than Spider-Verse. So when you have that tone intersecting with like, I have to be molestation bait, very weird. I mean, it's really hard to imagine a situation in a Marvel comic in which somebody being a sexual predator is so important that we state explicitly and that it be a motivator for a plot point when literally they eat spider people for their life force that was plenty the kids bait because he's fucking food the uh, i yeah i just very weird choice and one of those things where i just go nobody in editorial saw this and thought it was really weird maybe they thought it was edgy in a way that was engaging yeah but i do think spider force kind of gets like a c it's visually stunning i mean like if you separate some things out like for me kid spider if he is like a college age spider guy okay which like yes he kind of is drawn as but then he's saying he's much younger which i just don't that's kind of even what i'm saying like that's the visuals do not really match what's happening for me yeah it's the same thing with jessica drew being like all i am is a mother i just want a mom and then she's just like sexy at all moments and like kind of sultry and slinky which is not to say that moms can't be that but just that's not really a harmonious pairing yeah so there's some visual issues with the book like i said it's just not a strong grade for me you know probably the most unnecessary read but unfortunately the most plot necessary read of i was the gonna times. say at the very least they made that it is central to figuring out the the plot of this book into wrapping things up which you know spider gwen really unfortunately was just not central we didn't talk about this as much with spider girls another really important plot but it was less that what they were doing 
doing and getting through their story was really necessary and more just they needed to figure a thing out and by the end they do which isn't the worst but it's you know spider force is like goal gotta get to it gotta fight to get to it gotta strategize to get to it maybe we can't do it surprise we did it now the story continues which that sort of straightforward plotting could have done a lot for a lot of these books because outside of actual spider getting itself i feel as though the meandering did really affect my ability to enjoy some of it i mostly was eager to get through the tie-ins because i wondered if the miniseries could stand on its own the problem is these events wind up so long and there's so many intersecting parts i really don't have the ability to read it like three times through once in order once by itself and then like reread the one that i liked more you know but these tie-ins felt very hollow to what the central plot of Spider-Geddon was. These all just sort of felt like generic miniseries. These felt like books that might have happened anyway this month. Yeah, I think that's a really perfect way of putting it. And it really runs the gamut from, I hate to keep picking on it, but Spider-Gwen, like really, if you started with the first issue and like cut out a couple lines of dialogue and then cut a couple out at the end, just could have been four issues of a story about Gwen in an alternate universe. And, you know, you get to something like Vault of Spiders, which the the very conceit in and of itself gives you some idea of why this is important to the broader crossover. But it really at no point does anything to secure the idea that, like, you need to read this to get what's going on. Like, it can't even give us the plot stuff of or the character stuff of, like, you need to understand these couple characters to understand what their motivations are going to be when we get to Spider-Geddon final issue. It just kind of is a little museum gallery archive of other spiders that are out there and you really can choose to do that whenever you want. It doesn't necessarily have to be part of a crossover. And in fact, doing it another time and then being like, hey, go check out those couple books because you're going to see some of those characters again might take some weight off the series as a whole and give people a little more investment in the fact that like these characters were created outside of just like we got to push a bunch of them into a crossover especially because to get back to one of our core tenants this was not an any single character crossover this was really balanced even characters like astro spider introduced in spider force got like a time to shine in their own book so like everybody got a chance to shine new or old i think maybe there were a couple of characters here and there that just didn't really shine but the actual like core thing of the book that I was disappointed in was how little time we spent with the inheritors here. I know that I found the amount of time we spent with the inheritors in the first Spider-Verse event an egregious overstatement of our interest in seeing that situation demystified. Not because it wasn't important to the story, but because I feel that maybe they took a $100 mystery and kind of paid it off with like a $50 idea, right? Not that the inheritors aren't cool, but the Spider-Geddon central narrative doesn't really treat Moreland, Deimos, Verna, 
Bricks, Bora, Genix, and Solus as characters. It treats them more as like, I, I was going to say like classic like boss battles, but I mean, I've really got to say like fucking Bowser level boss battles, like fucking Shadow of the Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Like it's got to just be like, you're just fighting a monster because they don't have personalities. And even then there's ways that they're like taken out that I was like, oh, did everybody know the inheritor was a robot? <laughs> the personality that shines through the most is Bricks and Bora. And it's that they would much rather be off having sex with each other, which is, you know, valid, but odd. You know, Moreland, when he first shows up, is just a, a Spider-Man villain who's vampiric. Cool. It's own thing. I haven't read that run yet, so there's not a ton that I can say about it. But then to go from that to, oh, he's actually got a family. Huh. That's an interesting concept. What could it mean? We maybe went real deep in that and did a lot of time. And most of it was just sort of to give the stylistic steampunk incest vampires. But okay, we we get it now. Now, how are you upping the ante for me in this one? If you are bringing these same characters back, kind of difficult to do if you are literally just saying they are all back and back to their same old shenanigans. You really would have to give me like what you never realized is that their grandmother is the scariest one of all or, you know, I any number of things. But you can't just be like, hey, they're back and they they need to be stopped again. And like weirdly, we're kind of both overpowering and nerfing them as the story needs. That's the real danger if you're just repeating the same concept is we're going to have all the same focuses in terms of what to expect. And you're just never going to really be able to match that perfectly. So you do kind of have to, if you want to be successful, you've got to pick like how we're upping the ante this time or how things are different. And, you know, this, the series just kind of chose to be like, no, this is, this is the exact same thing, but we slim things down a little bit and we got you new and different spiders. Well, and they chunked it up in places that I don't like. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Leopard on, love it. Silk is in the background in a couple of shots. <laughs> love it. Wish she had dialogue, but I'm just glad to see her. She's another character that got Spider-Man 2099. She was everywhere and now it's like, who's she? But fuck, I hate this Norman spider and I don't care for spiders, man. <laughs> and so that it's sort of like, I don't know, pivots to them as Jadeite and Queen Beryl for some reason is just so stupid. I like I really love this book and I really love these creators. This is a moment where I'm like, fuck, my big complaint about Spider-Verse was in Secret Wars that it became about Norman when there was no Norman. Why is it about Norman now? And like Spider's Man being like, I'm going to put spiders in every reality. And Norman in that strange helmet. Ugh, it, this was just like the waning point of my interest in a big way. Yeah. And the fact that it really pivoted hard and was like, focus on this. It's a huge deal. Psych, it's actually not really a huge deal. And we're going to go back to the original thing. But just remember that this happened. Again, just choices were made. I don't understand them. But... 
I appreciate that somebody felt like that was going to be a thing. It's not really quite a red herring. It's almost like we thought we would have two more issues in which to fuck around with the Norman Spiders Man as villain situation. And instead we got one less issue. So we really just need you to look at it for exactly five seconds and then we're done with it. Well, I also wonder if it's going to be something that pays off in the long run. Well, it has partially in stories that come after this. Oh, terrific. So, you know, I see the value of it. I just wish it wasn't here in what we feel is both an overbloated and underpacked event at the same time. It's like that magical sweet spot where pasta is both burnt and kind of undercooked, you know? I think the thing that it does pay off with is Superior Octopus. And unfortunately, like, I think that is the cool thing. Just how it is in here is the problem. The idea that a haughty version of Spider-Man who is partially Doc Ock and a insane Spider-Man that is Norman Osborn and is equally like self-indulgent and self-superior that those two would come into conflict uh, chef's kiss just I don't see any reason why that would be a central part of an inheritor story unless it was either going to be like Norman kills all of the inheritors and now he is the big bad I might have bought that I'm the big bad for the next five panels now I'm out uh, but uh, but I'll be back later I don't think was the way to go about it to you know keep my interest or get me invested in any of the story I also really don't know what I think about the auto being like hey listen so here's what you're gonna do real quick Ben you wanna die oh um no oh you sure no I'll but die. you've done it so many times it's fine but it's okay here's what I don't get he poisons the like he poisons the Genix line or something like yeah I really I mean like the only thing was as soon as it started I was like oh Ben's died 27 times he's not gonna care about one more you have to go in directions that are almost insane and implausible to make a story like this exciting after you've kind of already done it once before immediately this is a double cross of course it is and it's not even that the fact that it's so obvious is the biggest problem it's just how both inscrutable and yet straightforward it is that is the odd mix with so many storylines converging that it then throws in miles gets the enigma force All right. That's, that's kind of stressful. That's another one. Like, Billy dies. We know he's such an important Spider-Man. Uh, we know that the Enigma Force is so important to what saved these people. Like, other forces are in the mix, and we get that that has to be a big thing. Just that it's like, oh, I should just go get the Enigma Force. And then the Enigma Force is like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, I just need your help. And it's like, oh, okay, that's totally fine. Inscrutable, and yet somehow really not, like, just so straightforward and kind of low-key that it's like, yeah, okay, that was, okay. Um, There's just no surprise element. There's no jaw drop. And that's part of it. There's too many things that just sort of line up as we barrel toward the ending that it does feel very much like this was meant to be six issues and it just got cut one short or they ate it for zero and they shouldn't have. I don't know. But I feel like stuff's missing. This is like a best parts version where they cut too much plot out. Yeah, like I said, the Norman thing might have worked with actually more issue. Like it might not really need to be seven or eight. 
even one extra one, while it might not have redeemed that particular plot point, would have allowed for some moments to land and be a thing for a few pages rather than just being like, that thing happened and then that thing happened and then that thing happened and we won. So it's kind of that. It's kind of that thing happened and that thing happened and that thing happened and we won. But there's a, a specific that thing that I kind of resent that we got to talk about. Oh God, are we here? So it turns out there is a being who can like the other people and resurrects them. And that is a thing. And that is how Kane has come back. He was the other, right? And yeah, so Arrow othered him. This happened in Edge of Spider-Verse. There was the bride, the scion, and the other. The bride was Cindy Moon Silk. The scion, it was kind of unclear, but ultimately I think they kind of thought it was Benji, Mayday's little brother. And then the other was Kane. And nobody really understood what this meant, but these were like, not dangling plot threads, but like, hey, we left these out here. And if anybody feels like picking up on the story, those are all there for you to play with. So the other is a spider deity linked to the web of life. And it kind of has to do with like turning actually into a monster. And the end of this book is evidently the other has selected Peter Parker of Earth 982 as its new avatar, as they are known. And uh, usually the others, like there's a transformative element. You get additional abilities, spider stingers, spider control, night vision, big monster body. There's a bunch of other stuff. But yeah, so this puts our precious Peter Parker, Mayday's father, in a position to be a pretty significant big bad. And I just do not want it. Is it all that it comes down to? Maybe with the right right writer and story beats and just some really careful consideration, you could get me through a story about this that ends with like, you know, me feeling like Mayday was done justice. I just, I felt as though the sacrifice that needed to happen to break May out of the Tom DeFalco box was the death of her father, Peter Parker, at the start of Edge of Spider-Verse. I think that completely changed the game for the character and meant from here on out, anything is possible. And it's not just going to be her listening to Courtney and Moose's bullshit. We didn't pay off that thing a lot in what came after, but we continued to get to the idea of like, that really could be May's life. She really could be a bit greater than just, it's a spider girl world feeling loose and slamming heat. I'm still waiting for that next step. And now that the baggage that we have to go along with it is zombie dad... I don't want it. I don't want it because what it means ultimately is I'm sort of being asked to, I guess, accept that the Mayday universe, the Mayday line can be, I don't want to say eternally mangled, but I feel in a lot of ways like Mayday is treated a little bit less fairly than is other characters. She is often regarded as though her universe is like plot factory space it feels like she's not her own person and i'm frustrated by that this is just another thing where like her brother's the scion now her father's the other she's spider woman but is she even a figure anymore or are we just mining her very usable family i want mayday to have more agency but right now i have some concerns about the amount of agency mayday's going to be afforded because the fact of the matter is nico and i speak to each other every day 
and talk about like Mayday could do this thing. What about a story where she was this? Like Web Warriors kind of has an Exiles vibe and Mayday has been one of the most reality hopping of them. Couldn't you just see her doing that in like a book that was all her own or with certain other characters? The ideas are nonstop and it's not because it is in large part because Mayday is convincing as somebody with a lot of agency and the reasons why she would have it make a ton of sense and the reasons why she should have it make a ton of sense but somebody has to step up and do the thing and if that doesn't happen we're just kind of screwing this character over and there's always room for redemption you know somebody could come later if this story is really bad and we just have more like may is just essentially a plot device somebody could come three to five years from now and write something else and pull it all back but like we're looking at this spider-man infinity comic being like we are ready tomorrow for you know mayday's time to come for the entire multiverse to be a spider-girl multiverse and i just um white knuckling the steering wheel watching this hoping that somebody has got something that excites me as much as mayday excites me conceptually because it's kind of about time you know it's a thing that you hope for a character that at some point someone will have a vision for them a run i'm not saying that we need something that redefines her like the giant size x-men or the way kid loki redefined loki i'm not looking for a transformative treatment but i'm looking for like 12 issues where i can be like you want to check out spider girl grab this because i don't have that right now i don't have this is two volumes that if you just grab it two six issue volumes you'll kind of get it and i would really like that that would be a really cool thing and if it's you know fucking 48 pages across four unlimiteds on you know the app that's even a little bit better because then i can kind of get people to read it a little bit more easily but man it's just a bummer that she's such a likable property that they just can't seem to get it into the air yeah after just like years of being like nope she's not dead like this is not this property has life get into it and you know nico and i examining all of this and being like okay a lot of it was not great but yeah she always did have life and this amazing classic writer who established a lot of the tropes of the big heroes that we know today looked at this character and was like i've got life for her i can make her into a hero on the level of her father and did that and then all we needed from there was somebody to come in and be like i saw what tom defalco did such an incredible talent i think i can build on that for a modern story i think i can pull her into 2011 2015 2018 that person still hasn't come and if we default to she is the traumatized daughter of zombie the other dad and brother to the real hero benji it's it's a disservice to her and then it means that you know a fantastic writer you know somebody like shauna mcguire who wrote ghost spider story doesn't get to come in and be like want to know what it's like to be mayday parker have i got a story for you i really do look forward to getting to examine this going forward we have 
have oh wait we never said hold on Uh-oh. spider geddon grades oh lord almighty okay are we just doing that book one grade you know yeah let's do the book and the event i'm gonna okay. give spider geddon by christos gage and a number of brilliant artists based on an idea by dan slot i'm gonna give the book itself like a b plus b i'm gonna give the event itself a b b minus the event wasn't groundbreaking it even is kind of like more of the other thing but less of the people you know and that's not a great lore but Christos Gage is so talented and the book worked it was just a lot of the unfocused did. uh yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the lower end of both those grades it's a B for the Spider-Geddon book it's a B minus for the series that B minus is one of those B minuses where you know I say that like parts of it are really like C minus D level but other parts of the event are A level and are just fan fucking tastic and when you get that all together that's where you get my b minus i really think that if you look at i mean it's gonna be so interesting to see you know where we go from this next edge of spider-verse all the way through where we are going to end up which i have no idea where that will be but i really hope that the creative teams are looking at these two events and seeing some of the things that i feel like i'm seeing and are committing to giving us a really solid event based on the lessons that we've learned from working in these two crossovers. We have a really exciting upcoming schedule of books. We're going to take a look at Deadpool Samurai, which is an actual Deadpool manga from Jump over in Japan that was imported recently by Viz Media. And we're checking it out because there's a character in it who is a spider character, uh, Sakura Spider, who will appear in an upcoming spider title that we will be discussing. So we loved her so much when we read that. We're like, let's go back. Let's grab Deadpool Samurai, read it up front. We're going to take a look at Amazing Spider-Man, Renew Your Vows, volumes zero through five, I guess. It's going to be like an old school Spider-Girl episode. We're doing like three arcs in an episode and it's going to be a a couple of barrel down and get through the shit. Like it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be old school. It's going to be a lot of fun. Great way to do this. From there, we're going to take a look at the Spider-Verse starring Miles, then some Spider-Verse Infinity comic starring Miles, followed by the Edge of the Spider-Verse that came out this past year. From there, we have a handful more of the Spider-Verse Infinity comics, 7 through 14, 15 through 20, and 21 through 25. And then, holy shit, new Mayday Parker. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm speechless. I I am so incredibly excited. What a gift to have put so much of ourselves into this project of examining this character in particular, the whole MC2 line, so many concepts that came out of it, and just like coming to what we thought was, we really had just read the end, the last appearance of Mayday that had been in publication. We had read everything that she had been in. I think I made a Twitter post being like, I can't believe I've read every issue of Spider-Girl, everything that Mayday Parker has ever been in. And then a day later, it is announced that she's coming back for this Infinity comic. I, what kismet, what incredible luck we have to be able to do this. And I'm just so excited to take a look at what comes next. And I'm through the moon with it. And I can't wait to do it all with you. And until then, TK, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xnatexgrayx. And of course, you can find me on this show, X is for Podcasts. 
Wednesdays and Fridays talking about what's going on in Limbo or what's going on in the latest issue of Immortal X-Men. You can find me all those same amazing places, plus on my own socials at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the partner channel for this show over on YouTube at Hubs Plus Network with extended versions of this show, episodes of The Billy Club, tons more amazing stuff. You definitely want to check it out. Love making that product over there as well. And you can find out everything about this show at accessforpodcast.com and X's for Podcast on Twitter. And until next time, remember, it really is not a fucking Spider-Girl world again, isn't it, motherfuckers? It really is, huh? <laughs> it's a Spider-Girl's world this time. I was actually really surprised they never made that joke. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Well, until next time, I guess. I don't even want to do the regular sign-off. This is so special. We'll see ya. See ya.